Well, good evening. It is great to be with you all tonight, and I'm thankful to be back with you. Uh, I want to start tonight uh, with thinking about a few statements that are made in the Word of God to start off what we're going to talk about tonight. And the topic of our lesson tonight, or the thought process tonight, is going to be lifting our speech out of the gutter, and what we say and what the words we speak mean and do. So, first of all, let's think about what the Scriptures say in Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who live it will eat its fruits. James 1.26 goes on to say, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And thirdly, Matthew 15.11, It was not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. Tonight, I want us to talk about the topic of our tongue and our speech. Thank you again for having me back. You know, you guys are becoming very dear to me. Um, I, I watch for announcements from your meetings. I even made it down last uh, Monday for Jim's. Uh, yes, he is a brother-in-law, so there may have been some obligation. No, I'm joking. I enjoyed being down for Jim's meeting as well, and I'm sure you guys had a good meeting with him. But I want to think about this, that we're fellow laborers in the faith. And even though we've got an hour and 10 minutes, hour and 20 minutes between us, I think about what goes on down here with you guys a lot. And I hope you guys are thinking and praying for what goes on up in Nicholasville a lot as I try to labor up there as an evangelist. All right, so as we read about those scriptures that we, we talked about there just for a minute, man, the tongue is a tiny body part that is definitely one of the hardest things to control. I, it, it's, it's just... You would think it wouldn't be that hard, but it is. And there are hundreds of verses about our speech throughout the pages of Scripture. And honestly, it is one of the most convicting and troubling subjects because it's hard and it's personal because it affects us. You know, this tongue can be something that is great and builds up, and it can be something that's destructive. And my hope is that we're all working hard every day to use good speech, though. We need to be working in our daily life, keeping ourselves in check, thinking about what we say and what we let out of our mouth. But I think as much as I, I don't preach this because I think there's a problem, I think it's a thing that we need to always be thinking about. All right? So some of these things you may, I, I'm pretty confident that you're going to say, oh, we don't have a problem with that. But there's others that may stretch you a little bit, maybe make you go, hmm, maybe I could tune it up a little bit. Maybe I could tweak and just get a little bit more out of myself in this subject of my speech. You know, you guys just did talk with Jim and studied with Jim last week about our God, our great God. And one of the attributes that Jim looked at was his holiness. And God wants us to be holy like he is. This means that we can do it because God wouldn't ask it from us if we couldn't. So let's study tonight to see how we might bring our speech out of the gutter. You know, today most people use profane obscenities in the world. You can't go anywhere without hearing language. Uh, a lot of times it's when they're angry or when they're disgusted with something or when they're disgruntled about something and they're just unhappy because of the way something went. Some use it to emph for emphasis. And others, unfortunately, just use it as a habit and they don't even realize they're talking like that anymore because it's just become something that's in their nature. And unfortunately, some of this happens even to people that I would say are professing Christians. 
again, I don't, I say this, I'm not doing this because I know of something here. Nobody asked me to do this lesson here. But it's, I think, just a reminder for us to always be looking at our speech. You know, as you know, more recently, foul language has become commonplace. You know, it's not just even in private anymore. You know, I can think when I grew up, you know, I can think in the hallways of the schools I was in, well, if someone said a bad word, that was a big deal. And now it's commonplace in the news, TV shows, music, advertisements. Profanity and obscenity is nearly impossible to avoid in family entertainment. Social media has even gone as far as making their own emojis for foul and lewd comments. So people can use profanity without having to type it out even. You know, many school teachers and textbooks reference things that are lewd and wrong. And they're written in a way that language uh, is just, the reading assignments and some of that's just filled with it these days. And we have to be on defense of this. You know, some will say this is a freedom of speech or an academic freedom. But we have to remember, even if it's legal, that doesn't make it moral. Even if it's legal, that doesn't make it righteous. And we have to be mindful of what we let slip in under the cover of, oh, it's okay, the government says it's okay, or the school board or whatever it is. Because again, it's his standard, not theirs, that we need to hold to. So God's word, I think, establishes some parameters for our speech. And there are four kinds of speech we're going to look at tonight as we talk about this. And the ideal is, I, is we want to delete this kind of language from our speech if we have it. Cursing, profanity, obscenities, or euphemisms. You know, although we might lump all this kind of stuff into foul language, each one's kind of different from itself. So we're going to look at it tonight together. And that's what we're going to discuss. You know, the ideal of cursing. Cutting cursing. The American Heritage Dictionary defines cursing as curse, an appeal or prayer for evil or injury to befall someone, to invoke evil, calamity, or injury upon. What this can mean is that anytime someone wishes another person harm or ill for example, they might some, say something like, I wish they'd drop dead, or I wish they'd get hit by a card. They, they, I wish they'd not get the captain spot on this, or not do this. You're just wishing ill. Well, what's Jesus say in Luke 6, 27? But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. That doesn't give us any room to have a cursing attitude in our heart and mind. Paul wrote over in Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then he goes on, skipping down three verses to 17 through 19, and he says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Now these verses here, Show us cursing is a violation of love because it wishes harm on others. We should not even curse our enemies. And that means we should not curse anyone. You know, if we aren't going to curse, our, there's no room for thinking about cursing a fellow image bearer of the God of heaven. Which means we need to wish good to come to others. 
We need to have a positive attitude towards others. We need to be thinking good for others at all times. You know, as we try to e warn evildoers what God teaches about their future punishment, you know, we may properly use biblical words that describe the punishment of God that he'll bring on the wicked, but we must remember that God himself is the one that will give this punishment out. We shouldn't be wishing for it for them. He is the judge of that. And it's God's job to do that, not ours. So the first way we can clean our speech up, if it's a problem, is cutting cursing. Next, let's think about purging profanity. All right. The dictionary defines profane as showing contempt or irreverence towards God or sacred things. All right. So, you know, as we think about this, profanity involves referring to anything holy in a way that mocks or ridicules it or otherwise fails to show the proper respect or reverence for it. You know, some people may profane the names of God using God or Jesus Christ, Jehovah, or Lord, by using them as expressions of anger or disgust or in a light or flippant way on the opposite side. It just becomes common speech. Likewise, other profane sacred things, such as hell, even though it's the judgment reserved for those that do not do the will of God, but that's a dwelling place that God has made, so it is in itself a, a holy thing. Another way people speak profanity is the practice or referring to disrespectful acts of worship, such as prayer or words of spiritual songs or Bible verses, like hallelujah or praise Jehovah. Now, what does the Bible say about profaning these words? Well, we learn that the priests of Israel were guilty of profaning God's holy things when they made no distinction between what was holy and what was common. It says over in Ezekiel 22:26. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. And they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths. And I am profaned among them. So they treated holy things as though they were common. You know, this passage refers especially to profaning God's word and worship. You know, one of the Ten Commandments addresses the problem of profanity or using things of God in an irreverent way. In Exodus 20 and verse 7, and I like the way the, I, I, I've got up here the New American Standard Version here, but I actually like the way the New International Translation puts it. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It's kind of an interesting translation there, but... His name is special. We shouldn't use it. You know, the Hebrew word translated there, misuse in the NIV, and vain in the King James and American Standard, means something that's empty or meaningless, without substance, and without proper respect. So this means to refer to God's name in such a way that it would be profane. You know, God's name should be so special on our lips and in our mouth because it's a revelation of him himself. And by it, he is inviting an intimate relationship with him. We are to be his children. He is to be our father. You know, the personal name for God revealed in the third commandment, the Lord your God, 
Some pronounced it as Yahweh I am. You know, God's most fundamental characteristic is that he is, he always, he always has been, and he always will be. And this speaks of the eternal nature and sovereignty and faithfulness. And he doesn't change. So why would we want to profane that? The Bible often speaks about how wonderful and sacred the name of God is. And we'll look at a few verses and listen to this as it talks about this. Psalms 111.9 He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Psalms 8.1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens? Acts 4 and verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under the heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Or in Philippians 2, 9 and 10, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So now that we know that God's name is so special and should be treated that way with respect, let's talk about the improper use of it some. You know, because God's name is so important, we should expect Satan to try to find ways to pervert our use of it. You know, because that's what he wants. He wants to separate us from our holy God. And you think about Isaiah 52 and 5, and this is a heartbreaking verse where God is mourning the plight of his people and listening to the evils of the day. And what does he say about it? He says in the end of that verse, those who rule over them and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Have you ever thought about how many times throughout the day the all-knowing God of heaven hears his name used in some light misuse and he deals with it? blasphemed and profaned all day long. So I want us to think about lifting our speech up so that we're not one of those people burdening God with using his name in a way that it should not be used. You know, God's name isn't an exclamation point for the end of a sentence or a point. It's not a reaction for different emotions. But we have to think about this in ways. And I'm going to try, a few of these I try to give nice examples so that I don't make it off or seem odd, but we need to think about this. But when someone hears a startling news or responds, oh my God, or they see a gruesome scene and they whisper Jesus, of course when we do that we don't mean anything by it, right? But look at what the person's really doing in those things. And this takes some changing of ourselves as we think about this. They're really trying to substitute his name as just a synonym for, oh, you're kidding, or I can't believe it, or that's terrible. We need to think about how we use the holy name of God. Second, God's name should not be as cliche. You know, many Christians, I've even heard this, are guilty of this type of misuse. And it, in a way, it sounds spiritual, though. But some people will say, praise the Lord without thinking about everything. With such regularity that they don't even realize that they're saying it sometimes. If 
you want to say it for something great, then give the honor to him if it's worthy of that praise. But we have to be careful. Or they'll say, God bless you, without even considering those words. And I think about that oftentimes even when I was a little boy, you know, sneezing. You know, is that really where we want to evoke God's name to bless us for sneezing? You know, it's just, what are we making common out of those things? without even considering those words. You know, God's name should only be used or associated with things that are substantial and genuine. You know, his name's not a cliche, and we should not use it unless we deeply mean to say it. You know, third thing is maybe that God's name shouldn't be an endorsement. You know, our, our society accepts the fact of endorsing things. The rich and the powerful and popular people of the land will give credibility to what one says or does. That's why professional athletes get paid millions of dollars to be on the front of the Wheaties box or wear a certain shoe or this or that. Because it gives credit to that product or vice versa in the return. Or some recording artist will be paid well to sell us a soda. You know, Coke, pop, whatever you guys call it in this area. Depends on where you're from. But sometimes... We take it more common than that. And we use the names of the king of kings for personal gain. And I guess I use this as an example here, but I've seen this. Praise the Lord Lumber Company. One-way plumbing, and there's a big picture of the cross on the side of the van. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad for things that make me think about spiritual things. But is that really... We're going to advertise God so that people might think we're good at what we do and honest? We're making it worthless in that way. We should be the worker we're meant to be and do the job we're supposed to be. And then the credibility we have at some point, we may be able to say, I work hard because I, I believe in the Lord. But to use it as an endorsement is one way to profane and make it empty. And we need to think carefully on that, I think. Fourth. You know, God's name should not be used as a false or frivolous oath. I keep hitting a button and I'm worried that I'm just progressing through my slides up here because um, I'm holding this in hand versus hitting a button. You know, Leviticus 19.12 tells us, You shall not swear falsely by my name as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Well, we note from this passage that God doesn't want us to use his name in a vain oath. You know, be careful to invoke his name. To certify trivial, trivial matters. You know, someone might say, I'll be at your house for dinner tonight at 7. So help me God. Or if the Lord wills. You know, let's not trivialize the name of God in that way. Or you might say, I promise you, I didn't eat the last donut as God is my witness. And I've heard that as kid. You're not honest enough for them to trust you, so you're going to try to pull in and trivialize the name of the Lord for a, a, a frivolous oath. We need to be careful what we say and how we invoke the name of God. Now, there are times in scriptures where Paul calls God to witness that some statement of his is true, but it was never a trivial matter. And if you look at Galatians 1.20 or 2 Corinthians 1.23 or Philippians 1.8, you'll see that example. But it was never because of eating the last donut or trying to hide some 
little thing. It was a serious matter about the word. And he used God as his witness. All right, so we need to think about these things. But I guess what I'm just trying to get a point across in this point is it is wrong to use God in trivial things. So I truly hope that our speech isn't profane. That's what my hope and wish is, is that we are not talking and taking the holy name of our God and other sacred things and using them more often than common. And I hope this will just kind of help increase our awareness about this. You know, I think one that I used to be saying, this was before, but you know, I might say something was heavenly. That Mountain Dew, after a hard day's work, was heavenly. I'm really going to pull down the holiness of heaven and compare it to a horrible for you drink of Mountain Dew? I still enjoy them, I just don't drink them, but that's beside the point for you all. But, but am I really going to pull that down? Is that apple pie really heavenly? You know, what are we making common out of things that are, are holy? All right, a third point. Obliterating obscenities, okay? Expressions of immoral and sensual speech are simply not compatible with the Christian calling. This one, there's nothing in it that should be in us as far as when we think about these. Most of the time, if you define this as obscene, it's offensive to modesty or decency, indecent, lewd, causing or tending to cause sexual excitement or lust. These are just obscene things, and this kind of speech should be nowhere in our palate at all. But too often in our society, jokes and humor contain suggestions or double meanings. You know, some expressions of disgust or anger are indecent, and they refer to different acts and bodily processes. We need to stay away from these kind of things. Perhaps the worst and most obscenity of the day is the, the language that has become more common. And um, it, you see it everywhere. You see emojis for it. You see just different things. And it's one of those I struggle with even trying to relate it. But it's just, it's, it's just not acceptable. And it's what I guess trying to talk to the adults in here would have been what we used to call the real bad word. But it's common now. And it's, you know, not even getting bleeped off of anything. So I think this is an obvious area of dirty speech and obscenities that you know, if you try to talk with me and justify this, we just don't even need to talk. This just shouldn't even be part of our palate. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you also rid yourselves of them all, anger, wrath, malice, slander, an obscene speech from your mouth. Ephesians 4.29 goes as far as saying, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so it will give grace to those who hear. You know, I truly hope this isn't a problem for anyone in here. But if it is, stop it now. I urge you, stop it now. Don't ever use obscenities. Don't make this be common in your life. You know, I encourage you to go as far as being careful of what you listen to, though, too. 
You know, some of this problem is because it's gotten so prevalent on the radio and TV that we hear it and we get callous to it. And then we don't realize that we're doing some of this. You know, I, years ago, I don't know if anybody else in here has seen this, but I, I don't know how to give this story without telling on myself, but there's a thing called TV Guardian. I don't know if anybody in here ever remembers hearing about it. But it was a little box that you could plug into your TV that worked off the closed captioning system that would remove all bad language off the closed captioning system. And there were settings on it, which was funny, because if you truly were to put in a religious movie, it would bleep out the word God every time, and it would be when they were talking about God, when they were speaking about God, when they were preaching about God. Anytime it would do that, so you'd have to go up and you'd have to turn that off because you were actually watching a movie to provoke spiritual thought in that sense. But it had different settings, and you could take obscenities, profanities, and spiritual words out. And we grew up with that in the house. My kids did, and my wife and I. So to that day, I'm still more sensitive about language because we still, to this point, don't have it in our house. The movies that you pull out from our drawer that we can watch, if a new movie comes out that we think we'd like, we'll go rent it, and my wife and I will watch it, and if TV Guardian works, because there might be one or two words in it that we just feel is inappropriate. If it won't work in that way, even the mild stuff, we just won't have it in our house. Or it won't even be captioned for it. You know, I'm sure there's probably a few Marvel fans in here, so I'm probably not talking to any of the kids in here that like their Marvel movies. But you know, Spider-Man doesn't have closed captioning, so we don't have any of the Spider-Man movies. We just don't have it. Because I want my kids not to hear it and get used to it. So that they have a shamedness to themselves when they hear those words used and when those type things are thought about. Well, the last one. So we've cut cursing, we've, we're going to purge profanity, we're going to get rid of obscenities, obscenities, and the last one is euphemisms. And a lot of people maybe go, some of you may be thinking, what's a euphemism? Well, the dictionary definition of euphemism is the substitution of a mild, indirect, or vague expression for one thought to be offensive, harsh, or blunt. All right, so my guess is this will probably be the one that encroaches on some of us if we Look at our speech. Maybe not. I hope not. But I hope it's not one of the other three. They seem bigger even though sin is sin. So don't, don't take me for calculating that wrongly. But, but euphemisms are a big problem. And my guess is that sometimes when people are angry or upset, they'll sometimes use altered forms of words in place of truly cursing or using profanity or obscenities. You know, to substitute often means the same. A lot of times it even sounds similar, but it's obvious, obviously an altered form of an objectable word. All right. So again, trying to be kind and cautious on this and not put inflection into this. But we're going to talk about a few of them. Gosh and golly. You know, those directly refer to being alterations of the word God. You look those up in Webster's in the American Dictionary. Uh, doggone is the ideal of damning something. Heck is a substitution for the word hell. 
OMG. We all know what that stands for. They even made an emoji for it, right? If they made an emoji, it has to be okay. No, it's just, they've even went to make it be that easy just to put that and use that. And the point is, not all expressions of anger and surprise are wrong. And even there are some euphemisms that aren't wrong. Because the ideal of euphemism is trading a word or substituting a word for a different word that would have less of an impact. So we might say someone passed away because it sounds a lot less harsh than saying there's, their mother's dead. So in that sense, you have some room where you try to do things that are softened in there. But if you're trying to soften it up so that you just won't use things that are holy and try to get by with it by using other softer words, you're still missing the point. If the substitution means the same as that word and sounds similar and that, it's not right for us to use those words. We need to think and chew on this some. And it may not refer to us because I'll tell you in Lowe's and different workplaces that I've had over the years, there are people that know that... That sounds braggy, but I don't know how to say it. There are people that know now that I'm either a preacher or know that I go to church. And they won't use bad language around me. Or what's funny is they'll modify language to use euphemisms so that it just doesn't seem as bad around John. And a few of them I've been close enough to say, you know, you're really saying the same thing. And most of my departments were always departments that would change, and we would have no language in our departments. But some might say, well, that's not what I mean when I use those words. Well, why try to skirt up and get to that gray area? Why try to get as close as you can to those words? Well, you might not mean the cuss word, but what does Jesus say about meaning of our words. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Well, some of you might be thinking you're doing a better job by using a euphemism versus that. But we have to look and think about this. What's the standard? Are we just trying not to get the big ones so we're moving our standard back here? No, I would say our standard should be what Jesus just said here. Every careless word that we speak will have an account given of it. So, this may mean we need to break habits. May mean we need to change how we speak sometimes. You know, I'll, I'll tell you as a kid, I didn't obey the gospel until I was 19. I didn't grow up in the church. I can remember back when I was 13 or 14 that I thought I'd be cool and use some foul language when I wasn't around my parents because I knew I'd get whooped if I did that. And I heard a statement one day, and this isn't to make him it because he just made a fool of himself here recently on TV, but it was what his Nana said to him. But Will Smith's grandma wrote him a note and said, if you aren't smart enough to say it without those kind of words, are you smart enough to be actually trying to perform? Well, that's a pretty strong grandma right there. And obviously we know, you know, seeing it in the news, anybody that's got a news feed, he showed his ignorance here recently. But her point 
is the right point. We should be smart enough to talk without using this kind of language and these kind of things so that everything we represent is holy because that's what we're supposed to be. We're to be holy as he is holy. So we may need to break some habits. We need to try to get control of our tongue. You know, if you think about the majority of the book of Proverbs, it's all about our speech. And it talks about our speech just throughout the whole book of Proverbs. The book of James is filled with information about the tongue. And Jesus himself admonished us about our conversions, many t- our conversations many times. So tonight's talk about how to clean up this talk is just to remember and remind us to make sure we keep our speech out of the gutter. Because really, if you think about it, there, I mean, you know, condemnation from God is the scariest thing that's there. But Matthew 12, 36 is a pretty scary verse when you think about it. Every careless word that people speak, they'll have to give an account for it on judgment. Are we ready to give an account about our speech? You know, on the topic of these four things, I'd think, yeah, I'm all right. But what about the other idle words where it's just useless fill when I could have been edifying and building someone up and encouraging someone in what I say? So let's be careful of what it is. So my challenge is to consider our words In a moment, we're going to have the invitation song. And tonight, you know, I know I've really talked about our our actions as Christians and our speech as trying to be holy people. But we still have an opportunity here when we're together that is an opportunity for an invitation to people that may need to obey the Lord. You know, if you've been here and you've heard his word, you need to let it set on your mind a little bit. And by doing that, you're going to start thinking about it. You're going to ask what you need to do. Well, we see that you're going to believe the word. And if you believe the word and you find the word and you read it and we can point to it, if you believe the word, it's going to tell you what you need to do. It's going to tell you you need to die to sin in Romans 6 because we're sinful creatures. And in the lesson I did this morning, and I just made this point, was what do you do with people that are dead? You bury them. Well, if we're dead in sin, what do we need to be done? We need to be buried into baptism so that we can come out a new creature. You know, we have to confess Jesus is Lord. That will be part of what we do if we obey the gospel. We'll have our sins washed away, and then we'll start living faithful to him. And this may be something you have to work on. It may not be. But I'll tell you now, there'll be other things you do have to work on because I work on stuff every day. All right? It's not, it's not just all easy from then on. You know, he tells us there'll be persecution. There'll be times of trial. There'll be hardships that come to it. But the great and grand thing is that there's this group of people here that will be right here with you, ready to bear the burden with you and to encourage you to keep on plugging on and doing what we need to do so that one day... When the Lord comes and we go back and have that home in heaven with him someday, we'll be able to stand before the Lord and say, I've considered what I've spoke about. And even after that, it's all still going to be because God's loving grace for us. We won't make it in because of our merit into heaven. It's still going to be his love and grace that did it. 
but we'll be able to stand before him and say we've considered what we've said. So if we can help in any way tonight, please come as we stand and say.